You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do pray that you would work even through our infirmities and that you would assure us of your goodness and loving kindness in the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And that we would stake our lives not in things that are transient uh, or even things that are of, of a good and enduring nature, but that we would only place our lives in the hands, uh, uh, the crucified hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay. Well, we're going to talk about uh, Blessed Assurance and all the right things. I love that hymn, uh, Blessed Assurance. It's one of my favorites, uh, and uh, it really does capture uh, the, the song of a Christian's heart, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Uh, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Uh, to know that your life is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and that there's nothing that can be done to snatch you out of his hand. Now, this subject uh, providentially fits hand in glove with what I was preaching on this morning in Luke chapter 8, because I hope that your mind went there this morning. But as I was preaching, that as you began to evaluate your heart, uh, you began to wonder, but what about assurance? What about knowing that once I am in Christ, There's no way for me to get out of Christ. And of course, I wasn't uh, upending that at all. In fact, uh, that is one of the things about assurance is that you're constantly being driven in your life back to Jesus. And the thing about Jesus is that when you're in him, he never lets go of you, which is sometimes really annoying. Right? This is the hound of heaven that the Puritans wrote about. You know, the Puritans get such a bad rap. Uh, but uh, but they were really great. Uh, they they were they were single minded in a way that we need to be single minded. And so anything that got in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they got rid of. And you can argue, well, that was a step too far. Uh, granted, uh, but uh, on whatever that issue is for you. But the bottom line is is that uh, you know the, the Puritans talked about that a lot. That that even as a, when you're a believer and even as your heart is prone to wander and as you're trying to get away from the fold, uh, Jesus actually hounds you down and, and drags you back. This is the image of the good shepherd. You know, how many of you have ever encountered sheep farming more than just a petting zoo, more than just a brief sort of walk, waltzing through Wales kind of tour? Um, uh, well, the thing about sheep farming is that when a sheep goes off, sheep are idiots. Uh, they're the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. That, that is an unqualified statement. Uh, and uh, when you finally approach them, they are in a wild, they panic and they go wild. And so when the sheep, you know, we all see those pictures of Jesus laying the lambs on his shoulder and walking back. And it's a really lovely image, but that's not what it actually looks like. It looks like Jesus putting the sheep in a headlock and sort of, you know, powering it down and binding it up, kicking and screaming until you can finally put it on his shoulders and to be able, or to just drag it back, right? It's, it's not this this meek and mild uh, <clears throat> encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes after us and he comes with us no matter, uh, comes after us no matter what. And of course, the image that I'm referring to is uh, from uh, John uh, chapter 10 um, and uh, where Jesus has already showed that he's the good shepherd. And beginning um, 
with, uh, let's just start with verse 25 in chapter 10. I, uh, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Or you can turn back to John chapter six. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so it's pretty clear that Jesus is teaching, I hope it's clear to you, that Jesus is teaching that those whom the Father has given him who are a part of his flock cannot be lost. How is it that they can't be lost? Just because Jesus says so? Well, the reason why they can't be lost is what brought them into the flock. So we always go back to the cross of Jesus Christ. That... Jesus' price that was paid on our behalf on the cross is the ransom, right? This is, uh, uh, this is uh, Mark 10, 45, uh, the, that Christ came into the world not to serve, but to, be, ser- not to ser- be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, right? The price, the transaction has occurred and it's irrevocable. And we all, I hope, are understanding, too, that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor, which means that there's nothing that we can do to unearn God's favor. That God the Father sees us through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ in his shed blood. Paid in full. It's been done. Jesus' final words on the cross were what? It's There's a cheat sheet up there. Uh, It's finished, which means what? It's finished. There's nothing left to do. That's why Hebrews says that Jesus ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, which is a really lovely image. What is Jesus doing in heaven? He's sitting around. And when are you allowed to sit around? When you're done your work. I mean, how many of you who are married have been sitting around watching TV or doing something and your wife or husband walks in, you immediately pop up? Why? Because you don't have any business sitting around. Right? You, got, you, have, you have work to do. You have things that you need to finish up. You have tasks that need accomplishing. But Jesus, when you walk in and there he is sitting on the couch, he is entitled to it in a way that we're not. He's finished. He, it's done. He's done all that he has come to do. Now, of course, Jesus is interceding on our behalf that he's not just sitting around, but Hebrews uses that imagery in order to drive home the point that Jesus, uh, his work on the cross is finished. It's a finished work. And by believing on him, as we go to John 6, you have life in his name. You have eternal life. 
Now, we've talked about the difference between believing in something and believing on something. Or you can go so far as to say that there's a difference between knowing something about someone and actually knowing someone. So, for instance, I could say, um, I know uh, this guy. Uh, He was a businessman. Uh, He is mainly involved in real estate. Uh, In the 1980s, a board game came out uh, that was named after him. Uh, he was kind of a, a character on TV, and then, uh, and I think he's got three kids, and he had a wife named uh, Ivana. Is that right? Right? If I, you know where I'm going with this? And, uh, and now I even know his address. He lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, I know where his office is. I can actually tell you what the layout of his office is and uh, what's hanging on his walls. I mean, I could go, I'm talking about Donald Trump, right? I hope you know that. Uh, and it turns out, I know a whole lot about the president of the United States, but I don't know him. I don't know him. I can't, I know a lot about him, but I can't say that I know him. And in the same way that the language is used in John chapter 10 about knowing the voice of Jesus and following after him is not just knowing about Jesus because there's a lot to be known about Jesus. And lots of people know lots of things about Jesus. But there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him and entering into a personal relationship with him and saying, you are mine and I am yours. I know you and you know me. And our relationship is a relationship. It's not just uh, about knowledge. Uh, It's about a continual, ongoing interaction and dialogue that we're having here and now. Of course, we don't see Jesus but he's alive. Uh, he's alive. And, and, and we interact with him uh, day in and day out. Why the Bible talks about praying without ceasing. And like any other relationship, you do things to maintain that relationship. And so uh, there's a big difference between knowing about and knowing someone. The, uh, the other point that we've made is that there's a difference between believing in something and believing on something. Uh, when I, if you're on Fifth Avenue, no, wait a minute. Yes. When you're on Fifth Avenue and you're going east and you're going to get on, uh, you know, the, the interstate that I'm talking about, you go up there and uh, go under and then under 280 and then up over there and there's almost no merge lane. And so everyone acts like an idiot trying to get in. Uh, we're 280. What's that? Is it Third Avenue? No, it's 5th. 3rd Avenue gets you on 280. No, no, no. I'm trying to get on the interstate. I'm trying to get on the interstate. All right. This is falling apart. <laughs> so, you know, as they've t- why did they take down the interstate? Be quiet, David. He sounds like a builder. Well, they said it was unsafe, right? Remember, they, remember you used to be able to park under there for events, and then all of a sudden they put up those stupid fences? And I was kind of willing to roll the dice on that one. Uh, but they put up all those fences and say, buy the BJCC and you can't park here anymore and all that kind of stuff. And they said, it's unsafe and, and pieces of concrete are falling off. Well, they took that part down, but what about the part I'm driving on that they haven't taken down? I'm a little bit anxious about that, to tell you the truth. That and, and I've, I, as I get older, I have more of a fear of heights. I used to never have a fear of heights. And, uh, and now when I'm kind of up going on that overpass, I'm like, man, I am a long way up. And if this thing, the things you think about as an adult, like if this thing collapses, I'm done. Uh, I'm done. Um, 
Now, they say that it's safe to drive on. But if I really thought about it, I, I don't know. I don't know if I believe them or not. And that belief leads to a certain kind of behavior. So someone can say, look, if you drive on this on-ramp, it's perfectly safe. You can say, well, I believe you, but I'm just going to take airport highway until it hits the interstate. Rather than saying, I believe you, and I'm actually going to drive on the overpass. So it's not just the believing, it's believing on. I do believe what you say is true and that this is going to hold me up. In the same way, we have a bridge of reconciliation to the Father who is Jesus Christ, his cross. It's there. And we may say, I believe the cross is there to bridge the gap of sin between God the Father and myself. But there's a difference between sitting on one side and saying, well, I believe that it's there and actually believing on it that you can walk over it and it's going to hold you up and get you to where you need to go. And so the assurance that we have is that not only are we going to be able to cross the bridge, uh, but there's nothing that's going to chuck us back on the other side. And that's nothing that we bring to the table. It's, it's God's uh, grace in our lives uh, that holds us in his hand. Of course, we're prone to wander, but again, Jesus comes back uh, and, and chases after us. Now, when I talk to people, and this may be you, and I'm not talking about you because I don't think I've had a conversation with many of you in this room about this, but in conversations that I have with people about what assurance is and how do you know you're right with God, here are some of the things that I hear. One, I'm a good person. And I know that when I get to heaven, that God will judge me fairly. Now, that's actually very true, that God is going to judge that person fairly. And fairly is not the result that they're going to want. Um, but the idea that they've lived a good life and therefore uh, they have assurance. Another thing that I hear are people will say things like, I was raised in the church. Uh, I was baptized. I was confirmed. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to downplay it, but some people will say things like, well, I got confirmed by Bishop Carpenter, who had really big hands and a booming voice. And that got me in. Uh, uh, or uh, I will hear things like, I know I, am, I, uh, I have assurance because uh, when I was eight years old, I went down and I prayed a prayer at the rail when the evangelist said, come. Now, there's something true about all of those, which is right, and then there's something that's not right about all of those. So the person who says, well, I'm a good person, the Advent's pretty good about knocking this tent pole down. Uh, well, the bottom line is you're not. God doesn't grade on a curve. Right? It's not as if you're sort of hoping upon hope that you and Kanye West go at the same time. Right? And, and so that you're, you're there in line. I mean, do you ever do that? I mean, when I get a speeding ticket, which, praise the Lord, has been a long time, I always hope that the people who go before me are really awful. Right? Like, I remember one time someone came in in cuffs and they were a serial shoplifter. I'm like, let's roll. This is it. I'm, 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 I'm totally... Do it turns out, like in eternal judgment, I'm still guilty. 
I'm still guilty. So God doesn't grade on a curve, and God's standard is perfection. And anything that doesn't reach perfection is damnable. And it's especially damnable is any idea that we can somehow earn God's favor. Because the only thing that is able to earn God's favor is the cross of Christ and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how God is, we are reconciled to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you get to heaven, yes, you're absolutely guilty as you stand before the judgment seat, but you're pleading the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus actually says the penalty that he deserves or she deserves, I have already taken upon myself. It's finished. And so anybody who wants to go before the throne of judgment and say, I'd really like to be judged by my own life and how I lived my own life, but well, you're going to get what you ask for. And, and it's not going to come out well uh, for your end. In fact, I've got a friend who was, um, who was Hindu, and uh, she was saying to me one time, she said, I just think Christianity is totally unfair. And I said, well, what do you mean it's unfair? And she said, well, in Hinduism, you really, really try to live uh, a holy life and, and not make any mistakes. And if you do well enough, you will be reincarnated into something a little bit better than you were before. And if you weren't so great you're going to get reincarnated into something that's a little bit less or even worse than you were before. And so that's why um, my friend uh, is, very, uh, is, a, is a strict vegetarian, doesn't step on bugs because that might be Uncle Phil, right? Things like that. And, and they talk about going through all of these circles in order to reach nirvana and, and to have a, a oneness uh, with the universe. This person's got some Buddhist ideas too. And, and she said, and you Christians, you, you, can, you can admit you're totally messed up and you put your faith in Jesus and you're in the presence of God. That's not fair. You're right. It's not. So what I say to my friends is that, you know, rather than worrying about the sum of your deeds and karma, what if you were to put your trust in Jesus Christ and that allow him to bridge that gap uh, so that you don't have to? And all of these circles of life that you've been thinking you're going through uh, will come to an end and you have perfect peace with God. Um, so there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. Uh, and in some sense, it is unfair uh, that Jesus is actually able to look at someone who is understandably and discernibly a sinner and say, you're now justified. You are forgiven. I mean, he, he did that uh, with a woman caught in adultery. He did that with a woman who came to Jesus' feet that we read about this morning in Luke chapter uh, 7 uh, and, and anointed his feet with oil and wa washed them with, his, with her tears. Woman, you are forgiven. Full stop. Woman at the well, come see a man who's told me about everything that, that's told me everything I've done and yet has forgiven me and set me free from the bondage of sin and death. So that's one of the things I hear people say about assurance is that it really is about living a good life. And as long as you try the best you can, you're okay. The second thing is normally a religiosity thing. And that is I have been baptized. I have been confirmed. I've gone to church every single day of my life. Well, this is where the parable of the sower 
is a great passage uh, to talk about that uh, because, again, Jesus is talking about those who have heard the word of God and yet it's never taken root in your heart. Now, when it comes to things like um, uh, baptism uh, or, or taking communion uh, or whatever it might be, you know, I wonder if there's not a pressure in our culture, and you may have felt this, where you yourself wonder whether or not you actually believe. You're not actually sure whether or not you're a believer. And I don't mean in terms of assurance. I mean in terms of as you've grappled with it, you're just not ready to make the decision to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet you go to church every Sunday. You even come forward and receive communion. You've had your children baptized. And the reason why you've done that is not so much out of belief, but because you're afraid, what would people think if I didn't go forward for communion? I'd be embarrassed to stay in my pew. Or the only reason why I had my kids baptized was that my mom would get off my back. And so you actually have a culture within the church, especially if it's in a Christianized area, that encourages people to lie and to not be upfront and honest and to be able to say, I don't know what I believe, or even I don't believe. And this is why these statistics about people who are saying they're nuns, N-O-N-E-S, these aren't people who live in San Francisco or Seattle or wherever you want to say. Uh, These are people who 10 years ago would have said, well, I'm a Methodist or I'm a Presbyterian or I'm an Episcopalian. And they actually believe the same things then as they do now, but now they actually feel like they have the cultural freedom to say, but I don't align with them anymore. I even hear this in Birmingham, where I used to hear people say, oh, I go to Advent. And now I hear people say, I grew up at Advent. You see the distinction where before there's still a cultural connection to it, uh, but they, they actually have come to terms, uh, and, I, and I think this is a healthy thing to say, I don't think I really believe. And yet there are people who say, when they're struggling with that, they say, well, as long as I keep taking communion, as long as I do all the right things, get my kid baptized, I was baptized myself, that must be pleasing to God, and I'm in with him. Of course, Jesus would say that about the Pharisees, that you're a whitewashed sepulcher, that outside it looks like you've got it all together, but inside you're actually rotten bone. So the best thing that you can do is to simply come to terms with, I'm not sure I believe, but I want to talk to somebody about this. I I actually want to talk about what the implications for me, putting my trust in Jesus, might actually be. Because every time I go up for communion, I feel really uncomfortable. I mean, Andrew says, believers in Jesus who have been baptized, and I am baptized, but I'm not really a believer, that really worries me, but I'd rather risk God's judgment than risk what my neighbor might think if they see me stay in the pew for communion. Um, And I don't know if you've ever seen me do this. There are times where I've not taken communion at the Advent, not because I decided I'm not a Christian today, um, although sometimes I feel that way. But actually, uh, if I'm on the outs with somebody in the congregation, we're having some sort of disagreement or some sort of fight that is more than just a friendly thing, it's actually very deep and it's impeded our relationship, 
I actually won't come forward to receive. And I get some looks, especially from the people up front, like, are you going to receive? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to receive. Well, why won't I receive? Because before I come to the table, I need to reconcile with my brother or my sister because coming to the table is a serious thing. Um, so just because you don't come to the table may not mean you're a, a believer or not a believer, uh, but, uh, but maybe something uh, else. But putting our trust and our assurance in the ordinances of the church, which of course are good and right things to do, and are the faithful things to do as covenant children of God, uh, they in and of themselves, apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are not efficacious. Right? So the unbeliever who comes forward to receive communion, they're simply eating bread and wine and drinking wine. For the person who comes forward as a believer, they're spiritually feeding on Christ in the bread and the wine. They're having communion with God through that transaction there. For the, for the child who is to be baptized, whom God has already called since the foundations of the earth to be a part of his flock, that baptism is efficacious. That's why that, we have that funny line in the baptism service that says, we baptize those who come to him in faith. And yet here's this baby and you're like, that baby's not made any decision. And yet we put our trust that God is actually going to ransom this child and that they're going to come to the age, normally around the age of confirmation, where they're going to get up and take ownership of, the, of their faith themselves. And so those things in and of themselves uh, won't give you any sort of assurance. Uh, and I do hear that sometimes too, where people will say, hey, I'd love for you to reach out to my children because they really need to come back to church. And my conviction is, is that we don't need more church, we need more Jesus. Because you can get somebody back to church and yet there they are just kind of hanging out in the pew and it's still not connecting. And they're really only there so long as their parents are there or grandparents are there. And then finally, for the person who says, and I'm gonna have to do this really quickly, um, the person who says, uh, well, I know I'm in with God uh, because I went down to the rail when I was eight years old. And, um, but actually since I was eight, there has been no effect on my life. There's, there's a, actually, I went to the rail, but I've never had communion with God. I've never shared in fellowship uh, with him. Uh, then there's a disconnect because that come, becomes a works righteousness of its own, doesn't it? I got in because I prayed this rather than, yes, I went down and I prayed and God met me there and I put my trust in his saving blood and now I have communion with God and that day marked the beginning of it all. There's a big difference, isn't there, in saying that. Well, I'm gonna have to cut it short uh, because we do need to make way for the 11 o'clock. And so think about these things this week and, uh, and we'll continue to talk a little bit more about assurance next week. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.